We're still preaching about heaven. Is it some kind of far-fetched dream? Or is it a certain promise? Revelation 21, the first seven verses. Who lo- now, now, again, I know it's all God's Word, but help me out here. Who wrote the book of Revelation? John, okay. Sometimes we call him John the Revelator. But remember, this is not John's revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, the coming of Christ. But John is speaking in chapter 21, and he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God. And he shall be my son. We spent quite a few weeks looking at some topics like Hades and Paradise, Abraham's bosom, torments. We considered some different thoughts about those places, what they were, where they are, and has there been a change, a change in the location. But I want to say something very clear tonight. We must never go beyond what the Bible says. Now, it's okay to draw our conclusions, and, you know, we need to study that out. But the fact of the matter is, there are some things the Bible is not clear about. And so we have to understand when we talk about Hades or paradise or Abraham's bosom or torment, things like that, we cannot be dogmatic on the conclusion that we draw. But don't forget of what we do know for sure. Just as sure as there's a heaven, there's a hell. As sure as there's a heaven to gain, there is a hell to shun. And so a couple of conclusions, two or three, 
There's a place of comfort for those who die in the Lord. Somebody say amen. Amen. Jesus went away to prepare that place. But the negative side of the whole deal is that there's a place of torment for those who die without Christ. But the third thing that ought to open our eyes, wherever that person ends up, whether heaven or hell, is for eternity. It is for eternity. Let us go back to the first few verses again, Revelation 21, and then I'll make a few comments about this. John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, most of you know that for many years, I, my dad and I had a remodeling business. And for probably 10 years or so, we did a lot of work for a general contractor who specialized in fire and water damage. And I remember even making a comment to some of the other folks that worked with us, whether it be the painter or whatever. And every time we finished a house, it was always better than what they had. But overall, it still looked like a house. Amen? Now, John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I want you to know something. God is in the remodeling business. And so heaven is real. We're not just floating around out there in space somewhere. It's a real place. And we spent some time in Peter about the elements melting with the fervent heat and all those things. And there are different ideas of what that may mean. But understand, this new heaven and new earth is going to look a lot like this earth. And yet it'll be totally brand new. But our focus tonight is not just a new heaven and new earth. We're looking at the new Jerusalem. Now again, using this word association here tonight, I am convinced that this new Jerusalem in some ways will look a lot like the old Jerusalem. I believe it will be an actual city. <laughs> a new city, if you will. So we don't have just a new heaven. We've got a new heaven, a new earth. But there's also a new city. And John says the holy city, the new Jerusalem, which descended out of heaven from God. <laughs> wow, what a God. But this new Jerusalem, what makes it special, what makes it different, is going to be the place where God is going to dwell among his people. God is going to live among his people. Some 2,000 years ago, God became man. In Jesus Christ. And he lived among sinful people in a broken world. In fact, John said he came to his own, and his own 
received him not. But understand, God's going to fix that broken world. He's going to eradicate sin from this world. And there's coming a day when God is going to come down to his new heaven, his new earth. He's going to come and be the God of a renewed people. A renewed people. And God's children, believers in Christ, will live in this city that words cannot describe. John says it looked like to him a bride adorned for her husband, pure and radiant, ready to come and join the one she loves. And the Bible describes you and I, the church, God's people, as a bride making ourselves ready for the marriage feast. And John described this New Jerusalem also as a bride. One thing we're certain about this new city, there is going to be new relationships. Now, how many are thankful for the relationship you have with God today? Amen. I am also thankful for the relationship we have with each other. So in this new city, there will be relationships there, I think, first and primary between God and ourselves, God and his people, but also between each other. And like I told you earlier, this is not a a place of being an individual necessarily. We are individuals. But we're not just floating around on our own cloud. That's not what the Bible teaches about heaven. The Bible is clear that in heaven, we are going to join together with God's people and we are going to worship Him corporately. And my friend, it'll be a worship like you've never seen in your life. It'll be a worship that'll never grow old. It'll be the first time we're really going to worship God in the spirit of holiness. And it's going to be so beautiful. It defies description. Look at verse 3. John said, I heard a great voice of, out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. So this new heaven, new, new Jerusalem, is going to be the new home of God. And the Bible said, John says, he heard a a loud shout, a great voice out of heaven. And this was not from God, but probably an angel near the throne. And this, this angel, and hear me, he announced the words all of creation had been waiting to hear. Behold. 
Look, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with him. And i got to tell you, it's almost more than I can imagine. When I think about what it's going to be like when the home of God is going to be among us, when we will spend eternity with God and God's family, a time, and don't miss this, a time when God himself is going to be with us. In Leviticus chapter 26, and by the way, this is in preparation for the promised land. They're getting ready, they're getting ready to, I mean, they're on the way there. And God makes a promise. He says, I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and will be your God, and you shall be my people. Now let that on the sticky side of your brain, okay? You got one there. Exodus chapter 40, verse 34 and 35. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation. Why? Because a cloud abode thereon. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Let me share some background to this. Moses had gone up on the mountain, and God's glory had appeared, if you will, during the covenant ceremony. Jeremy, I think you told me, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when you preach from Hebrews, the same verse I'm using, you alluded to the mountain. Is that correct? The mountain that was on fire, the mountain that quaked. That's the mountain in Exodus. But God appeared on that mountain. And it was some distance from the people. In fact, they were warned, don't even go near. Don't come near this mountain. And God says, from this point on, Wherever you go, I'm going to go with you. I want to go with my people. And by this particular covenant ceremony, God was fulfilling a promise he had made to Abraham. I will be with you. I will be with you. Now, if you know your scripture, the fact that God lives with Israel was to be expected. For he had symbolically married Israel. And a little affront, I mean, a little addition to the morning's, this morning's message married people live together. Amen. 
Also interesting, we get to the days of the kings, and especially Solomon. And in chapter 7 of Second Chronicles, when the temple was constructed, the Bible says God's glory was transferred then to that temple. Now, it's interesting. There came a time when that same glory would depart. When Judah's sin reached the point that God's sacred presence could no longer tolerate their apostasy. You remember as they were fleeing from the Philistines, birth was given to a baby boy, and they named him Ichabod. Meaning what? The glory of the Lord has departed. God who had longed to dwell among his people. And the temple was destroyed. After the exile, some years later, 70 years later, when the temple was rebuilt, According to Haggai chapter 2, God's glory came back. You know why? He wanted so much as well among his people. But I want you to realize as important as that was in the days of Israel's history in the Old Testament times, ultimately the glory of God was revealed in Jesus Christ. His name should be called Emmanuel. Why? Because that means being interpreted. God with us. I alluded to this verse a moment ago, John 1, 14. Actually, I, I, I did verse 15, but John 14, 1, 14. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, I'm going to stop for a minute. John couldn't hardly fathom that. He'd walked with him for three and a half years. And he said the word was made flesh. God became flesh, John said. And he dwelt among us. And look what John says. And we beheld his glory. Think about that. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to tell you tonight, folks, the greatest blessing for ancient Israel was God's presence with them. Read the story. I I mean, the fact of the matter is, they had absolutely no chance of making it to the promised land. But you read the story, and the fear of God went ahead of them and drove out their enemies. The glory of God was with him, and the greatest blessing they had was the presence of God among them. It was a presence that remained until just before the destruction of the temple in 586 B.C. And God had promised them 
He said, one day I will live among you. And I will not despise you. I will walk among you. And I will be your God. And you will be my people. So what was foreshadowed in God's presence in the tabernacle, what was foreshadowed in God's presence in the temple, what was foreshadowed in the presence of God himself in Jesus Christ, folks, is going to be reality in the New Jerusalem. It is going to be an eternal reality for all of God's children. I mentioned this morning we've been looking at the Godhead on Wednesday night. What a study we've had. And the more I learn about God, the more I realize I don't know much at all about Him. But I don't, I don't know why. Why would God want to have a, a relationship with me or anyone? But how many know from creation God's wanted to be with His people? Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 8. And they, that's Adam and Eve, heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of uh, the garden. And just as God had walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, so will he live with his people one day. God's people will have, will live within what the rabbis have coined the Shekinah glory of God. A word that means literally Cause to dwell. The Shekinah glory of God. Now you won't find it in the Bible, but that's what these rabbis have coined that word. And the whole idea was, it signified the divine visitation of the presence of the dwelling of the Lord God here on earth. And so the presence of God among his people that's going to happen in the new Jerusalem fulfills all the longings of the entire Bible. In fact, the Old Testament prophets foresaw that great day. Now, by the way, I was listening to a preacher just the other day, just a clip, and he made a statement I never really thought about. Another statement that, to me that just verifies the divinity of the Bible. That it's God's book, not man's. And he made a statement. Here's what he said. He said, there's a thread that runs from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And no matter where you pull that thread, it crinkles the rest of the word. This is God's word. And so even the Old Testament prophets looked ahead for that great day. Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. And God said to them, I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. A promise by God. Leviticus 26, look at verse 11 and 12. And I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee 
to be a special people unto himself above all people on the face of the earth. Jeremiah 31, verse 33 and 34. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in your inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. They shall know that they shall teach no more every man and his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them saith the Lord. And I will forgive their iniquity, and I remember, I will remember their sins no more. Ezekiel thirty seven twenty seven. My tabernacle also shall be with them, yea, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Zechariah chapter eight, verse eight. And I will bring them, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. Now, I don't know about you, but I am extremely grateful for the I wills of God. I will do this. I will be with you. I will be your God. And I want you to realize every time I read an I will of God, I'm reminded that God is a great promise keeper. He keeps his word. And I want to remind you tonight, folks, whenever you get discouraged, when, when life becomes burdensome to you and you don't know what to do, remember that our God keeps His promises. He will be our God, and He will dwell among us, and we will be His people. Amen. You realize we talked about contentment this morning in Sunday school, and we concluded that most in our world are not content. And the reason is they're looking for contentment in all the wrong places. My friend, the greatest desire to be in God's presence should be our strongest desire here on earth. It ought to be the focus of all of our worship. You ever heard the saying, there's no place like home? Isn't that true? Now, it's great to have Ruby back, isn't it? Oh, were you going to, Rick? Oh, I didn't think so. Okay. But I got to tell you, I don't know how, how anybody can stay away from home that long. I, I, got, I mean, Really? And now, you know, we're all different, and, you know, I appreciate that. Uh, three days, now I'm home, I'm ready to go back home. Uh, no place like your own bed. Amen. Do what now? Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> and there's no place like home. Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 23. Look what Paul says. For the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature, that's us, was made subject to vanity. Not willingly, 
But by reason of him, that's God, who hath subjected the same in hope. Verse 21. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And then Paul says in verse 22, for we know. For we know that the whole creation groans and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the body of our redemption. The longer I live, the more I realize this world is not my home. This world is not my home. Yes, we are born again. We have a God who lives in us with the Holy Spirit. Thank God for that. But you and I, even as Christians, with the rest of God's creation, we are currently facing suffering. But one day, God is going to glorify creation and ourselves in the future. From the time of that awful event in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, the world has been suffering from decay and pollution. So we wait. And we wait with a deep longing, awaiting the day of our complete redemption. But until then, we will deal with diseases and deformities. We will deal with suffering. And all of those are constantly reminding us that all is not right with us and all is not right in our world. So all creation looks forward to being liberated from the effects of the fall. And my friend, there's coming a day, the second return of Jesus Christ, when he returns for his people, Paul, we just read in Romans chapter 8, Paul said at that day, God's going to reveal those who are truly his children. It'll be that day, my friend, the tares will be separated from the wheat, the sheep from the goats. And you can write this down, folks. God makes no mistakes. And the entire universe, all of God's creation, is looking forward to the conclusion of God's plan. Now think about that. 
And to me, it's humbling to realize that as creatures developing an eager expectation for God to return, for Christ to return, sadly, humans are the last to respond. All of creation is growing. Paul said, even us. Now, I just read Paul's description of the fall. And it reminds us that when Adam sinned, God declared that all of creation would be subject to vanity, to futility, to frustration, to change, and decay. And we need to understand something about that, folks. Creation is frustrated because it is unable to attain the very purpose for which God created us and creation. And the original sense of perfect order in our world was marred by sin. And because of sin, we became fallen people, and fallen people must live in a fallen world. Now, Paul says it wasn't by our choice. We didn't choose to live in frustration. We wouldn't choose to live in vanity. So Paul says it wasn't by our own choice. It wasn't by the choice of creation. Paul says it was part of God's doing. And the reason was so there would be hope for a better world. For God's plan of salvation. I told you before, I'm not a Greek scholar. don't even know anything about Greek except my concordance that I use often. But I understand that this verse that Paul, we just quoted from Paul in Romans, is very complex. And it's not easy to translate it directly in English. And so one paraphrase puts it this way and says this. The world of creation cannot as yet see reality. Not because it chooses to be blind. But because in God's purpose, it has been so limited. Yet, it is a given hope. Now think about that. And the hope is that in the end, the whole of created life will be rescued from the tyranny of change and decay. And have its share in that magnificent liberty which can only belong to the children of God. And I will remind you again, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And that day is coming. So I will remind us all tonight that our God has given us a sure hope. And eventually this frustration is going to end. This vanity is going to come to an end, and creation will experience a freedom from sin, a freedom from evil, a freedom from decay, and thank God, a freedom from death. Amen. That's why we groan. That's why 
We groan. We hear a lot today about the Green New Deal, about the environment. And I don't, it doesn't matter what side you take on that, and that's okay. But no matter much, how much we personally and corporately do to clean up and care for this environment, we can't forget that this world, creation itself, is going to require the same kind of transformation we require to be made new. Just like we can't clean up our lives, we can't clean up our world either. It has to be the power of God. This world is wearing down, and God has a recycling plan. He has a recycling plan. And I don't care where you go, how far you travel. We will never find the ultimate meanings of life among the wonders of the earth. Never. We will never find the ultimate answers about the meaning of life in the far reaches of the universe. We will only find the answers about the meaning of life We're going to have to turn to God. That's the only place we can turn. Clearly the Bible gives a picture of a fallen earth in pain. And I want to tell you folks, I'm sick of it. Sick of the heartache and the pain, the disease and the dying and the decaying. Believe in the hope of a better home, a better place. Earthquakes, floods, fire, drought, famine. And I have to believe that these are not what God meant creation to be. Not at all. But now sin and evil rule in our world. Paul described this groaning in Romans 8 like the pains of childbirth. But he describes it reminding us that those pains of childbirth are going to end in the birth of the child. That's the kind of groaning that's going on in creation. The pain of creation is going to end In the birth of a new earth and a new heaven and a new Jerusalem. Thank God. And this groaning that Paul talks about here in Romans 8, it's not an impatient groaning. Paul says it's an eager groaning. A groaning of anticipation. And just, we talk about this groaning, we're not talking about groaning in hopelessness. but we're talking about the sound of total consecration. Concentrating on a painful but a hopeful conclusion. Folks, it's going to get better from here. Only because of God. 
It's not a despairing cry of hopelessness. But it's an eager longing of the hopeful. And my friend, it's going to come about. But before the glory is revealed, Paul says, yes, there will be a time, a time of groaning. So all of creation, including us, we groan and we long for our release and transformation into the new heaven and a new earth. We groan and we long for our own release from the cycle of sin and decay. We long for the full redemption of our bodies. And my friend, it is coming. And in this process, we're not alone. For the Holy Spirit, Paul said, groans with us. He groans with us. And he expresses our words that we can't even say, the words of our longing that we don't know how to even speak about. He expresses those words and that longing we can't utter to God. A groaning that only God knows about. But until the time of our release, and it's coming, until the time of our release and our redemption, we must groan, we must wait, and we must hope. And the reason is, we're not home yet. We are not home. Oh, my goodness. Would you agree tonight, and we're going to close, I promise. Would you agree tonight there's nothing like coming home after a long and stressful day? After a long, weary trip to the mountains, <laughs> there's nothing like coming home. And I got to tell you, wow, I'll soon be a senior. And you know what I found out? It's hard for me to get used to this world. It is. And there's a lot of good I'm thankful for. No doubt about that. But as good as God has been to me and our family, somehow I know deep down inside that this world is not my home. It's just not. So when life gets hard, when you feel misunderstood or when you feel lonely, and when the ache you have for peace around you cannot be met by any earthly luxury. Allow those times to force us to run to God and to His Word. Let's stand together. Father, we are so grateful tonight for Your precious promise. And Lord, we do long and we wait. But Lord, it's not an impatient waiting. We are eagerly waiting for the redemption of our bodies. 
as creation waits for their redemption as well. And Father, I pray tonight that you would encourage the hearts of all believers across our world. Remind us there's going to be a day when we will dwell with God and God will dwell with us. He will be our God and we will be his people. There's going to come a day we're going to see God face to face. (laughs) A day will fall down at his feet and worship him. Father, we thank you today and we worship you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen.